and welcome to another episode of I'll Be There For You, a podcast about pop culture and coping. I'm your host slash producer slash snack mom, Lindsay Ennett, and on every episode, I invite a cool or funny person that I admire to talk about a piece of pop culture or two that got them through a difficult time in their lives. Why am I doing this? Why am I subjecting you to another fucking pop culture podcast? Well, I love talking to people about things they love. I love talking to people about pop culture and the way pop culture helps us relate to what's going on in our lives and to each other. If you love the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, but also really care about the melting ice caps, this podcast is for you. My guest today is the hilarious and amazing Liz Stockwell. She is a Chicago-based comedian who you can see doing all kinds of shows with all kinds of people. Anything in particular coming up that you want to plug? I'll plug Lady Life, February 18th at Cafe Mustache. It's an all-woman storytelling show where you get to just be your grossest self anything that would be traditionally unladylike to tell so you'll have to come to see what gross things i talk about because they're pretty liquidy (laughs) you'll see It's a it's a very fluid subject matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give us a, a preview, or are you saving it for the? the I think show? I'm, you know what I think I'm going to save it for the show. It's it's outrageous, heartwarming, and uh, outrageous again. But uh, I think you guys would dig the story. So, Liz, what have you brought in today to to talk about? I wanted to talk about the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. We're in season two right now, but I want to talk more specifically about how season one got me through a really rough time. So little backup to what that rough time is. I got divorced last year, December of 20, well, not last year, it's now 2019, but December of 2017, I left a man that I was with for 10 years. He turned out not to be a great guy, you know, not getting into too many details, but I was just like at this crossroads in my life. We had separated about like six months prior to the divorce and I didn't know what to do with myself. I lost all these friends. You know, it just kind of felt like my life was directionless. And to get me through rough times, I turned to comedy, which I always, always have. You know, like I would turn to, I would turn on any Netflix special. And when I get that alert on my phone that a new one has been released, I would be like, oh, thank God. <laughs> Something <laughs> to get me through tonight, you know, like where I can like go home and laugh instead of cry. As I was doing this, I was like, you know, I have always wanted to try stand up. I was always too shy to, too timid to perform. But even when I was like little, I kind of always knew I wanted to perform. I was just like, no, I couldn't possibly. I just got in my own way. One day I was just kind of like doing my research and I found this class through the Lincoln Lodge called The Feminine Comique. It's currently taught by the wonderful Alex Cuman. So I signed up for it and I was like really nervous because I had only really performed in like school plays before you know and then like all of a sudden I, I started reading all these articles about this new show that was coming out on Amazon called The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and everyone kept asking me have you seen this show so I turned it on and to my surprise 
It was pretty much my exact scenario while I was going through it. So I, I mean, I, I, like it blew my mind how close. Like, here's this woman getting a divorce, starting her life in stand-up comedy, and damn, like, yeah, that's, that's oh gosh. Walk me through that a little bit, but the process and the yeah. feeling of of seeing yourself and your circumstances playing out on this very acclaimed site. Yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, it was like a little surreal. It was a little bit before I started taking those classes too, but I knew I'd already like signed up for it. It was coming up in like maybe like a month or so. And the thing that got to me the most was like, okay, she's going through a divorce. She's starting her career in stand-up. It was the way that her husband was, Joel, stealing jokes. I actually was always the funny. I mean, like, okay, I was the funny one in the relationship. I'm just going to say it. I 100% believe that. (laughs) And, uh, but I wasn't like into social media i was just very anti i'm like i'm not doing twitter i'm not doing facebook no like i don't have time for it so i would say something funny and he would take it and put it out on twitter and i kept like thinking to myself well no he's like tweeting for the two of us because we're a couple i was gonna say would he attribute you because no it was just on his twitter account so people would think it was you know think it was his i mean you see it in the first episode she's like yeah, you know, she has a notebook and she's writing. She's jokes writing for jokes for him. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was just like it was really amazing to see like this woman who had all of these social pressures to stay with him. And granted, in 2017, it wasn't as much, but, you know, I still felt it. Right. Yeah. Even if it's not socially, I think especially as women we have a tendency to internalize a lot of that yeah definitely i thought it was like my job to make things work i thought it was my job to let things pass and you know it was like this path that i was on i thought that was where i was supposed to be in life i was chugging right along and like you know you get married around 30 and i've been with this guy (laughs) for 10 years it might as well be him And there were warning signs, you know, that he wasn't great. But I convinced myself I deserved that and couldn't do any better, you know? When I finally made the decision, it was really hard. And it was really hard to tell my parents. When I saw her, I'm like, well, at least I didn't have to tell 1950s parents (laughs) that I was getting a divorce. You didn't have to tell Tony Shalhoub. No, Tony Thank God my dad doesn't have, like, the blood pressure of Tony Shalhoub. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah part of that show is also really not problematic but like problematic if you're a comedian (laughs) because here she is you know she starts right and right off the bat she's great and then she's meeting uh you know lenny bruce immediately getting like locked up with him so it's unrealistic but it was like a fun fantasy to watch and follow and it put some perspective on what i was going through and that i got to like watch it from a third person perspective, which is something really weird to do. <laughs> no, totally. And did did you find yourself identifying with Midge at all with the titular Mrs. Maisel? Yeah, I mean, I had never been on my own like her, you know, like I grew up as an only child like her. Wait, no, she has a brother. Never mind. She acts like one, though. Mm. 
<laughs> yeah, I never like lived alone. I lived with my parents and then I lived with my ex-husband and I had just kind of like always been under someone's thumb. I feel like her story is also very much like a woman's liberation story as much as like I felt like mine was too because I'd always been under some kind of like, not that my dad was like a hard ass or anything, but under some man's care for my whole life until I was 30. So there's just so, there's so many parallels to this story. It was surreal seeing. Did you see any parallels between your journey, specifically Mm -hmm. from the comedy perspective? Yeah, because the first thing that she talked about was her divorce. And that was the first thing that I talked about, too, because in order to kind of heal and to get past the pain or at least numb it a little bit, I had to take the pain of that moment in time and just turn it into something else. I didn't turn to storytelling. I was like, you know what? I'm going to pull out the most absurd moments of my relationship and put them on display and like make everyone laugh and cackle at these like silly fights oh my God, like I always, I like to cast myself in a better light, you know? I like to cast myself as like the smarter one and it's kind of a way to like a revenge, the best revenge is living well kind of situation. Yeah, Yeah. I loved, I, I just, I'm so happy I found it. It's therapeutic, although they say you're not supposed to use it as therapy. Right, but there's a difference between, I'd mm-hmm. argue that there's Yeah, 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 yeah. No, there are, like, some people that, like, and I always, like, understand where it's coming from. Like, they go up at an open mic, you know, it's usually not a show, but an open mic, and they just kind of talk through a problem they're having. And it's really easy to, like, just want to do that, but you do have to, like, force yourself to try and find the funny But sometimes going up there and kind of just talking it out play by play and just like seeing seeing which absurd moments or which moments that have this like dark irony get a laugh. And then you can like develop your jokes from there, too. Yeah, I don't want to, you know, spoil too much of your your material on here. What was the process like for you of of writing out some of those moments and and finding the funny and hearing people respond to these real and sometimes Mm -hmm. painful things? things that happen to you. So when I went to the class, one of the first things that she had us do was to like create these like joke bubble trees where like you'd write an idea on a just a general topic, you know, and then like from there you just kind of like branch off. It's like a free association. I started doing that and with each like thing I just started coming up with like a little twist in it. Like so like I just I drew, I drew this like tree out. It was about divorce and I like was like, okay, what do you associate with divorce? Dying alone. And then I was just like, well, that's just me time. So, <laughs> See, that's funny. Yeah, so it, like, it, it, that's how it like developed from there. You like think of something and then you, uh, you think of the things that relate to that thing and then further out and you just kind of like build up details and then you kind of circle out what's funny. But yeah, in class, like we would just like present these little like random word association things. And whatever seemed to get the most reaction like that, that was like one of the first things I was like dying alone. It's just me time, you know, and that got a laugh. And that's how I kind of started writing jokes. But I also kind of did like some story aspect of it, too. That was the easiest way for me to jump in. Wasn't like strict. 
And I'm still not like a set up punchline, set up punchline kind of person. It was an easier way to kind of like navigate doing stand up. Like, well, let me just talk about something funny that happened. And then I'll kind of like figure it out from there. I've been flying by the seat of my pants is basically what I'm <laughs> telling you. I kind of get the same mm-hmm. vibe from from Mrs. Maisel on the show. That first stand up bit that she does that's so, I mean, it's granted it's so full of just bile and yeah. just. She, you can tell she's so wrecked, but it's mm-hmm. it's not her her best stuff on the show is not set up punchline set up right punchline. right. It's just like here's my life. Here's this like, and when she talks about her parents, like here are the weird things my parents do. It's and back then jokes were very much set up punchline, but you had someone like Lenny Bruce who really broke the mold and started to talk about more personal stuff, kind of philosophize on stage a little bit. And I think, and I don't know if like I don't want to like generalize, but I think it is easier for women, or we're more inclined to write about our own lives in stand up because of our being a woman like we're always thrown back on ourselves we are in the way that we're objectified we're very aware of being ourselves at all moments because we're just bombarded um so i've I've just i've noticed that as i've been out there i think you're right and i think there are you know there are male comedians who do the the slice of life Mm -hmm. insecurity things really well i think about Mm -hmm. somebody like john mulaney oh yeah oh yeah i love the way john mulaney talks about about himself and about his family but i think you're right especially with with women it's almost a defense mechanism Mm mm-hmm Oh, totally. Like the other day, like this dude asked me for a cigarette and it it was by DePaul and he looked like 18. And I was just like, no. And I kind of just like giggled a little bit. He's like, what's so funny about that? And I was just like, I'm just not giving it to you. Like, and I crossed the street because it was a little aggressive and he followed. And yeah, he followed. I went up to the train platform where I was meeting some friends and I immediately started joking about it because like that was so creepy. I need to really the tension of how scary that was immediately otherwise i'm gonna like go cry somewhere it's in that way where like we're always aware of our existing that like i think draws us to want to talk about our lives more Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, I think that's true of anyone, especially in a medium like comedy that is still Mm -hmm. overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly straight and overwhelmingly male, Mm -hmm. where anyone who is not that I think there's still that side of comedy is very much like, you know, why are you putting identity politics or right? No, because it's my experience. Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. Like why like why people write about the things that they write about everything that you write, whether you're a writer, you're a songwriter, an art, an artist of any kind, you're putting yourself into your work and you can tell the time and space that it's coming from. I mean, I don't really believe in like separating the art from the artist. I think they are part and parcel. I can I believe in um, art being up to interpretation but the artist is always in it because the artist especially in something like comedy that for most people unless you're unless you're like a mitch hedberg where you're just or a dimitri martin yeah drawing from the absurd yeah yeah most people it's it's something deeply personal i think Mm -hmm. about why am i blanking on her name lady dynamite maria bamford someone like maria bamford where the way she talks about mental health is is 
done from this very dark and personal yeah. place, but also super absurd. Like it's so absurd. I love <laughs> I love how she like sings songs about her therapist with her husband and stuff. <laughs> and it, it's like making a game out of depression. And that's why I love her so. It's like it's this thing that's in my life. I'm gonna make fun of it in a really silly way. And I think your point about not separating the art from the artist because mm-hmm. comedy is such a, a personal medium right the the person is the art and exactly it's i think it's the hardest one to separate out if i'm being honest like writing uh you know novels uh fiction that is like the second hardest because that person's so in it paint like i think the visual arts little bit easier you know but like if we're talking about like like louis ck him not addressing the elephant in the room is the strangest thing i can imagine for a comeback It's like him and Aziz Ansari and all these dudes now, instead of addressing the elephant in the room, they're kind of doubling down. Yeah. Going in the complete opposite direction of like, ah, PC culture is taking me down. And now all my materials about that, like they're proving your point. Mm -hmm. You can't separate the art from the artist. No, you can't. The artist refuses to separate it. The artist went through that, that period of turmoil for them, you know, because it's all about them. They mm-hmm. went through that turmoil. And now that's their experience. And they've come out of it, I think, with a different style, almost. I don't think there's really any going back because you went through that. But the thing in particular that bothers me is like a comic is any good comic addresses like the weird thing in the room like oh this building's weird like oh we had to go through like this snaky tunnel to get here you say it like anything that's distracting the audience from your set from your art you say it so you, yeah we're, we're all thinking this now we can like move on and they're not doing it and they're the thing that's distracting from their set and the other thing too is like comedians are so well known for like saying the thing that everyone's thinking i mean that's the whole mo right yeah yeah like their whole yeah like you have to say what everyone's thinking but is too afraid to say it here's the thing that everyone's thinking and is saying like nobody's too afraid to say that you're yeah you're being a dipshit yeah 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 everyone's saying it yeah quite loudly but you (laughs) you know yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's it's the weirdest like version of a comeback i'm just like existentially astounded there's like some level of me where i'm like i'm so mad at these men right now but boy am i glad i'm not them to be that fucking cognitively dissonant and that's your life now you know like thank god i'm just a nice lady (laughs) in chicago (laughs) and the thing is all they could have owned it yeah and they could have made a genuine apology in an attempt to no i don't even want to talk about this anyways we have given these fuck boys too much time way too much of our time let's go back to passing the bechdel test and marvelous mrs Maisel. Oh, first Bechdel (laughs) test reference on this podcast. Well done. But I think, I mean, like being and being a female comic is just like it's got this inherently empowering feeling because it is like you're and uh, it's less so than it used to be really hostile towards women like some of the women I've talked to that have been doing this for many many years I hear horror stories (laughs) you know it takes a lot of work like you see you go to an open mic and all the boys are just kind of huddled together and they're not very inclusive of the women there's a few that are really great but for the most 
most part, you just see like the men over there and then like the women all in one group. And it's it's just it's really hard gain respect in the scene, like especially when you're new, you're just getting hit on because they don't think you're gonna last long and it doesn't matter. And there's just like something like really cool about some dude (laughs) hitting on me and then me doing much better than him (laughs) at the mic. How did you navigate that in your first year in in Mm -hmm. comedy? And how, if at all, did the marvelous Mrs. Maisel inform that navigation? I mean, I took her example of like, she's not being taken seriously as a woman. And I was like, well, thank God I live in 2018. And like the like the road has been paved for me. I looked at that and I was like, I'm gonna make the last generation of women comics proud like Joan Rivers and like I don't all these women that I look up to Sarah Silverman and um, Joan Rivers who is loosely the inspiration for yeah Joan Rivers is way more funny than Mrs. Maisel by the way (laughs) I'm just gonna say she's not my style like Mrs. Maisel she's funny but you know yeah Everybody has their preferences. (laughs) Oh, I have a very dark, very, very dark sense of humor. For what I uh, listen to, it's usually like, oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. But yeah, for the first year, I... I relentlessly surrounded myself with women. One of the things that was like just really great about that class was like the first rule on the first day, she's like, I don't want anyone saying sorry for anything. Hell yes. Mm -hmm. She's like, no sorries in this class. So like whatever you like want to talk about, it's up to you. Like I, you can talk about whatever you want to, you know, like obviously don't be a dick, but she just didn't want us to feel like we weren't allowed to take up space. You know, and I remember there was this one woman who was in tears one day and, you know, she was like writing about her dog and like just like her life or whatever. And she just like she broke down in tears because she was like, I just feel like like no one will want to hear me talk about this. And I feel like I can't do this. Yeah. Our teacher like just like stopped everything. And she's like, OK, we're going to talk. And she's like, and I never have to have this in the co-ed class, but always with a woman. She's like, what you have to say absolutely matters and absolutely deserves to be heard. I I know podcasting is a very visual medium, mm-hmm. but that that gap that you heard in the audio is me just like getting really emotional. <laughs> oh my gosh, but it's it's true. Yeah. And what I think is really cool, and I'm sure this is true in many cities with a comedy scene, but how many DIY and grassroots community spaces are being built for voices that are underrepresented or underappreciated in comedy. I think about groups like the Kates. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Femcom and the work that that they're doing. And I'm sure there's like a bazillion examples. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I've been lucky enough to see Cameron Esposito here Mm -hmm. a few times. And both times when she came to Chicago, she brought on local queer comics as her openers mm-hmm. shannon null and lee abuav and they were both so fucking funny yeah so great yeah just like i'm so happy that these incredibly funny people get a bigger audience well and you know and cameron esposito is the founder of femcom i mean when she was coming up there were really not a lot of women i mean it's been kind of like an upwards crawl sort of but like especially in like the open mic scene where you're just around a bar with a bunch of dudes it's not appealing for most women to like spend their nights doing that she just like she was like you know what this needs to 
change. I need to give like a space for women to kind of like test out their jokes with each other because these dudes are like so intimidating. And I'm sure they were much worse when she was coming up. And they're kind of coming around to the fact that like we're yeah, we're here and we're funny. And I know she and Rhea Butcher have both yeah. still been very intentional about that, putting together a really diverse lineups yeah. where put your hands together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a fun show, um, a girl in the scene I know runs, her name's Liz Greenwood. It's called Token, where there's only like one white male allowed per <laughs> he's the token, basically. So I really love that as like a concept for a show. Uh just doing a little plug for someone I like out there. But um, um yeah. And and where and when is token? Because uh, I would totally see that. I would have to look it up it's at a lulu pub i'll put yeah. some information about that in the show notes as well as and on our social we'll have some information about where in chicago you can see comics that are not straight white dudes yeah oh definitely i'll give you a whole list so you can just but yeah i mean i started going to like mostly like a this female mic that that would run once a month it still runs once a month i don't know what i'm talking about but it's called you joke like a girl it's a volumes book cafe. That'll also be on the list. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, but it's an open mic and a showcase for female identifying individuals to just like they come up, they try their jokes, and then they have the showcase. Later, I started going because I knew it would be a really supportive audience. I wasn't even used to performing. I was like so bad at like my delivery and my timing. I was just getting used to just talking in front of people. So it was a really good crowd to kind of get used to being up there and performing because they were really supportive and like you knew you weren't gonna go away crying when you went home (laughs) and that was actually the first place i got to see you do stand up and i was really floored by the environment because most of the Mm stand-up environments i had been to mostly to see other comic friends were club environments where it would be unless it was a very intentionally woman-centered or queer-centered space it would be mostly just like my friend and then a cabal of bro-y dudes yep Um, and and people would be like half paying attention but Mm -hmm. this was super supportive even like the room is super bright and yeah like everybody is very like you don't feel dirty coming out of there you know yeah Yeah. (laughs) which is yeah it's a different kind of space yeah 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 well once i got used to performing i would i would then go to like kind of tougher joints to like thicken my skin even though i i did a lot of like all female shows and like mics you know like really female friendly crowds but i knew i had to reality the reality of it you know like i can't just bubble myself in so much of it is showing your face hanging out so yeah i used to go to uh this this great place that i will hold dear in my heart the mutiny r.i.p uh let's take a brief moment of silence for the (laughs) mutiny (laughs) please but it was i mean that was also like an interesting experience like i and i still like going to kind of like the scummier places because there is that side of me too I grew up in the punk community, going to the Fireside Bowl, you know. Oh, God, my heart. Just yeah. All of those beautiful venues that are yeah. no longer with us. I remember going, oh, God, I'm really dating myself here, but going to see Mustard Plug at <laughs> yes. the old bottom lounge under the oh, red light. Oh, yeah. I miss the old bottom lounge. There's the aspect of, like, I feel very feminist doing this, but I also feel very punk rock doing this. And I've, you know, I always liked 
to make people laugh. Like I'm always joking around. I was the person in my office would just like repeat my jokes annoyingly. I'm like, I need to stop subjecting like people to this and do it where it's appropriate. Yeah, like I, I founded the mutiny a chance to like thicken my skin. Because I knew I'd have to. I knew, you know, as much as I appreciate that there are safe spaces to do comedy in Chicago, and I think they're very necessary. I was like, I am also the person that does very daring things. So I'd go to like the heckle mic and be like, just have at it. I'll get my all all my this is what I look like jokes from this, you know, Yeah. as a performer, like you need, you know, no matter what Mm -hmm. medium you're in or what kind of performer you're in and it doesn't negate the the need for community building. But you, you do need those. You do need the chance to gird yourself yeah. for your off nights, for the inevitability of bombing, and for shitty yeah. audiences. Well, honestly, I feel like what they did with that mic was like a service to the comedy community because it would be fellow comics heckling each other and being like saying the worst stuff, the worst stuff you could say when you're when you get off. Like we're all still friends. Like it's it's almost like hey, we're like what? Is, it's like the martial arts where they like beat their shins until like it's not going to hurt anymore it's like that but we're doing it we're doing it for each other we're not a real audience that's like throwing beer bottles at the stage we're although i wouldn't put that past the mutiny it's true there yeah it's usually the outsiders where we're like i've never seen that guy before we don't know what he's doing here (laughs) that gets kicked out there was a sense of community there too it it, of dirt bags but lovable dirt bags yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Like community building takes a lot of different forms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you need both the people who are going to say everybody has a voice and deserves to take up space and the people who are going to heckle you until mm-hmm. you're ready. Ex- no, exactly. Because all of that makes you a better comedian, like the support and the negativity. Because you need to not be torn down so much that you quit but you need someone to like check you because it's like you're not that funny don't <laughs> don't get it twisted. you're not that funny yeah. you need to work harder nobody's that funny and no none of us are you know yeah. like we all have a lot of work to do uh i mean myself especially because i'm so new but yeah it's like i think like sometimes i appreciate the the meaner comics that are like you ain't nothing <laughs> so how are you feeling now going into really your second full year of regularly doing stand-up i'm feeling and it was funny because around christmas the second season of the marvelous mrs Maisel came on and i i like cried this tear of joy because i remembered where i was when i was watching the first season like scared oh no i don't know how to do this what if i fail at it like at life at love at stand-up and then there was a year later watching it again and one of the themes of this second season was, um, you know, how much a year, how much a difference a year can make. And I just like, this tear came to my eye of joy where I was like, I cannot believe where I am right now as, as compared to a year ago. And I've talked to other like fellow divorcees about this, but it almost feels like back to the future where your timeline changes, you know, where it's like, I had this like whole future that I thought, like I saw stretched out ahead of me. And then all of the sudden, I just like changed paths and I would have never imagined that I would like be doing this, still doing this, loving it so much, getting to do like some really cool shows and getting to make as many people laugh as I have. I just, I can't wait to see what else happens. One thing I 
always like to ask people who come on the show is what outside of pop culture do you do to practice self or community care? That's a good question. (laughs) Not much. (laughs) That's okay. In terms of like self care, I, I am kind of like an introvert. So I, as much as I can be extroverted, but I do have those tendencies. I always make sure to take a night to myself where I don't let anyone in and it's just me. Whatever it is that I'm doing at home, it doesn't matter as long as I'm like alone doing it. Other people just, you need a break from other people. And I've learned that like over the years, like it's okay to want that for yourself. Because I used to feel so much guilt wanting that for myself in a relationship that like now that's kind of supplanted a little bit way like guilt for not going out to a mic that night. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's okay. You have to take care of you. It's taken a long time to like come to that. I'm like, no, no, no. I really love that metaphor about uh, that I've seen a lot of therapists and a lot mm-hmm. of other folks use about putting your own oxygen mask on before assisting yeah. next to you. Yeah, 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 totally. This week especially, it's just been like, it's been a rough week. I went to a bridal shower for someone that I like, I love, and I'm like really happy for her, but it's always, it's just hard to be around wedding stuff. And I was like, I just, I'm not going to be in like a good state of mind. I'm just going to like kind of chill out and not worry about like the pressures of doing like, I mean, except for my job, I still have to do that. (laughs) But, you know, like once I go home, that's fine. Like just take care of yourself. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to absolutely be on this still very much in the works show. <laughs> Liz, is um, is there anything else you want to plug or anywhere hmm. or where can we find you online? Well, other than Ladylike, I am found online Lizbot1, where the O is a zero. That's my Instagram handle. Um, you can find me on Facebook. I'm Liz Stockwell. I post a lot of shows on there, so, you know. I can't wait to see, come to Ladylike and see your your upcoming shows. This has been another episode of I'll Be There For You. We post new episodes every other Sunday. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever your podcast home of choice. Please like us, love us, give us those sweet, sweet five stars reviews, inject Mm -mm -mm. them into my veins. Uh And we appreciate feedback. If you have questions, ideas, if you want to be a guest on the show, you can email me at I'll be there for you pod at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. And take care. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>